The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. Brief review of where we've been and considering fighting for faith in the midst of suffering. Um, this is kind of an extension of the, one of the last bullet points from a few weeks ago where we saw that God gives his people regular means of grace for living in a world marked by suffering as we await our future with Christ. So we're going to dig into that a little bit today and talk about applying those in our own lives for the purpose of suffering with an eye towards the future, um, not despairing but hopeful anticipation of our future with the Lord. And that is um, enhanced by, we might say, God's empathy to his suffering people, which is demonstrated by his merciful character and the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're not left alone in our suffering. Not only does God give us other people who, um, we, we talked about this, Myra pointed this out, how our own sufferings are used for the encouragement and help of other people, and likewise theirs within the body is meant to be a comfort to us. But God himself in his character and especially in the person of Jesus, uh, shows us God's empathy to us and is another help and comfort to us in the midst of suffering. And then last week, we considered some unbiblical or sinful responses to suffering that we want to guard against. And they include practical atheism, you know, living as if God didn't exist, running to false gods, so pursuing comfort and help uh, in other things, Thinking we deserve better, so the prosperity mindset that pushes back against suffering as something um, that is to be avoided, not to be expected in a Christian life lived well. Thinking God can't help, so maybe, you know, God is just, He doesn't have the wisdom or He doesn't have the power to actually help us. He's, we admit to the reality and existence of God, but maybe He just can't help us with this. Or, and, and or doubting God's goodness to us. So we call his character into question. So his attributes, his character, um, his existence, our need of him, or just thinking that he ought to give us better than we have are potential responses to suffering that we want to guard against. And we're going to talk today about the means of grace that he has given to us in the Bible and prayer in the church for fighting the fight of faith. So suffering is a battle for faith, if you're following along with your packet. And this is really more or less what we've been saying all along. God, who is good and who is sovereign, brings trials and sufferings to us for our good and for His glory. So God works all, to, all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's got to be on the forefront of our minds frequently, especially in suffering, if we are to suffer well, that whatever it is that God is providentially bringing our way, He intends for our good. And it's up to Him to determine what our good means. If we think our good means, well, our, our physical comfort, uh, relative ease in our lives, we're going to find out that what God means as good is probably going to contradict that definition of good. Joseph you know, in prison, did not have that definition of good during those years of imprisonment as an innocent man. 
but he's able to tell his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we saw, even in his story, some of that good he was able to see with his own eyes as God delivered them uh, into Egypt for their preservation. We may not always get the curtains pulled back to see what that good is, but we have to remember it's God's definition of good that matters. Uh, And we're not left without a complete understanding of what that means. Our good will be our growing in Christ-likeness, our maturing in faith, our ability and capacity to minister to other people. We've got to have God's ideas about what is good for us in mind when we say God brings all things or works all things together for the good of those who love him. And ultimately, it's our eternal good he's working for. Um, But we are battling our own sinful inclinations. We're battling spiritual enemies. And the, the purpose of those enemies is to rob us of our joy in the Lord and cause us to despair. So we're battling for faith. It's a battle to believe in and trust in God's goodness and faithfulness, not despite our suffering, but in and through it. So it's a battle for faith. Uh, Romans 10.17 reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So it's important that we remember that, that faith, hearing the word of Christ for the, for the purpose of faith, is not only faith in a saving sense. We don't move on from faith after we have some initial expression of that faith uh, in our conversion. Uh, Paul is going to say to the Galatians in chapter 3, and hopefully this is on your verse packet, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works and miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The idea, and I think it's, it's been easy for me to miss this in the past in Galatians, is he's rebuking the Galatians for, they, they agree with him, we began this Christian life by faith. But their lives are giving evidence that they think that they can be perfected or matured or sanctified by some other means, by fleshly means. And Paul says, he who began a good work in you by faith, is he going to perfect you in some other way? Has he decided faith is how we got started on this road, but now you have to work it out in your own flesh? By no means. He calls it foolishness to think that you can be sanctified by the flesh. So if faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, and the Christian life is one of ongoing faith, not just initial faith, but faith that saves and faith that sanctifies, then we need to submit ourselves to the Word of God, to hearing the Word of God on a regular basis in order for our faith to grow. It would make sense if Galatians 3 said, begin by faith and then be perfected by the flesh. It would make sense then that the Word of God wouldn't be essential. Just work it out on your own. You're saved, so now get to work. But if, if it's faith from start to finish, if it's faith all the way through, and faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, then we need to submit ourselves to the Word of God every day. 
to continue to grow and be strengthened in faith. Does that make sense? If, if faith just began and then you worked it out on your own, then, well, who needs grace? There, there, grace wouldn't be required if we were being sanctified in the power of our flesh. But we are talking about a work of God's grace, and that work is at power in us by faith. And faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ, so we need the Word of Christ. Yeah. The uh, kind of salvation is the insurance plan, or, you know, my ticket's punched, but as far as getting to the train station, I got it. I'll work that out. Um, yeah, and so I, I hope that this is a reminder for all of us of the danger of, like, what the Galatians were, were tempted to, that I think the implication is they had begun by the Spirit, but they were attempting to be perfected by the flesh and not by God's grace by means of hearing with faith. Yeah. Because suffering reveals what you're trusting in. Um, we, we have had ongoing car troubles in our van. Um, I, I think the scientific term for what we have is a lemon. And, oh man, every time that check engine light comes on, I, I see where my hope and trust has been. It's been in the van not having the check engine light on. Um, so, that, that's a very minor, minute example. But suffering trials of various kinds, they bring to the surface what you're trusting in. Like, you'll see very quickly, is it what's in my bank account? Is it the relative peace in my relationships? Uh, is it my reputation? Is it um, the strength I have to even perform the disciplines of grace, right? Is it my daily Bible reading? Is it my quiet time and devotional, you know, consistency? Or is my hope and trust in the Lord? Am I casting my cares on Him? Um, suffering will reveal to us what we're trusting in. And that's good. We need to see where our blind spots are and where we're erring. Um, but I think you're right. that, uh, and, and maybe that is uh, particularly uh, a temptation for people who live in cultural contexts like ours that embrace and celebrate individualism and uh, independence and picking, your up, picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, the American dream is if you work hard enough and apply yourself, then you will succeed. Um, that's, that's dangerous when we're talking about a gospel that says the last person you can depend on is you. But we need the Word of God in order for our faith to grow and be strengthened. I mean, Jesus says it very plainly, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need it to not only save us, but to sustain us. Um, it's a good reminder that all of this, start to finish, our hearing the word of Christ in a way that leads to faith is all of God's grace. Acts 16 Verses 13 and 14 kind of briefly encapsulate Paul's encounter with Lydia. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, Thyatira a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. 
the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So just having the sound waves of the Bible going into our ears is not what we mean ultimately by hearing with faith. God must act in such a way that, like Lydia, our hearts are opened to hear and receive the Word of God. Jesus told the parable of the sower, the soils. The seed is being cast on different kinds of soil, and it's the, it's the quality of the soil that determined the fruitfulness of what was produced. So the rocky soil, no fruit, uh, the, the, or the, the hard path, rocky and thorny soils, ultimately either no fruit is produced or it's, it's choked out by the love of other things or trials or what have you. But the good soil is what produced the good fruit. Well, where does the good soil come from? It comes from the work of the Lord in opening one's heart to hear and believe these things. Apart from His grace to us, our, our soil will remain hard to the Word of God. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ and hearing the Word of Christ in such a way that faith is produced is the work of God. Um, the same idea is in Ephesians 2.8. Did I put that on your verse? I did. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What is not your own doing? What is the gift of God? It is salvation by grace through faith. That is the gift of God. Paul goes on to say in that passage, it is not a result of works so that no one may boast. The Galatian problem is if it was true, it gave them grounds for boasting before the Lord. Yeah, you saved me, God, but look at how much fruit I've produced since then. You got the soil all together, but look at all the branches and fruit that have grown here. Paul is careful to tell us that it is the fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is all a work of grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. This, salvation by grace through faith, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So if faith comes from hearing... Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. Then it follows that reading Scripture is obviously very important. So we're back to your, your packet now. If faith comes by hearing, it follows that reading Scripture is obviously important. Now, if you're anything like me, in terms of regular Bible reading, it's very easy for me to get into... Um, like. I've always enjoyed Bible reading plans. Um, the only one that I've ever really consistently followed, and I've done it multiple times, is uh, a reading plan that was initially developed by Robert Murray McShane, and it's been reproduced um, by, by many people. Um, but I discovered a devotional years ago called For the Love of God by D.A. Carson. Uh, and if, if you're looking for a personal devotional that accompanies daily Bible reading, it's one that I would recommend to you. Uh, the devotions are very short because the Bible reading, to get through the Bible in a year, and some of the Bible more than once in a year, is, is pretty substantial. It's, it's typically four to six chapters a day uh, with a brief devotional thought on one of those passages. The, the issue that I have run into before 
is I make, it's very easy for me to make the daily Bible reading about getting to the end of it so I can check it off. And the, the satisfaction comes not from delighting in the Lord and knowing Him better in His Word and being transformed into Christ-likeness by means of God graciously working through His Word, but there's the satisfaction of the checkbox. There, it's that Galatian problem cropping up again. It's, I did it. I did it. And I did it for reasons other than my own delight in the Lord. So, reading Scripture is very important. Having a plan can and is, I think, be very helpful. Um, if I were, you know, discipling a young Christian and encouraging them in Bible reading, I don't think my advice to them would be, eh, just, you know, whatever. I think I would encourage them to think about a plan for that. Read a whole book of the Bible in segments. Or, if you've never read the Bible all the way through, maybe consider a plan where you try to work through the entire Bible and expose yourself to the different genres and different books in the Old Testament and New Testament. So not having a plan is not necessarily advisable. But we can get into, I know myself well enough to know that I can get into just the, the duty part of it. Get through it, check the box, Tomorrow I'll do the same thing, check the box. Yeah, absolutely. And it becomes more about duty than delight. And that's, a, that's an easy error, I think, to make and, and one that we need to be guarding against. And we, to look back on your packet, we can protect ourselves against rote duty in Bible reading by an increasing sense and awareness of how much we need the Word of God. Um, I have Psalm 119 referenced there. We're not going to read all of Psalm 119. It would probably take the remainder of our time. But I'm struck in Psalm 119 by how the psalmist talks about our, our need for God's Word in a variety of areas. I went through the psalm just very quickly and made a list of things that the psalmist expresses need for God in. Listen to these. This is not an exhaustive list, either in life or from Psalm 119, but this is a selection of things that the psalmist expresses need for God in, and need for God's Word in, specifically the Word of God. He says he needs God's Word for pursuing holiness, for praising God rightly, for the ability to teach and counsel other people, to battle against sorrow, to put false ways away from us, to not be ashamed before God, to avoid selfishness, to live a life of peace, to have comfort in affliction, to have the right attitude towards His enemies, to have good judgment and knowledge and wisdom, for others to see our lives and glorify God, to endure per, uh, persecution, to light the path of our lives, and to give us assurance that God hears and answers the prayers of His people. If you go through Psalm 119, and just I would encourage you to try this sometime. This isn't the only passage, but I think it's a particularly helpful one. Look at all the things he says that we need God's Word for. That's just some of the things that he expresses need for the Word of God in. There's not an area of our lives 
that is untouched by the need for the Word of God. In very practical ways, we need the Word of God. Um, Psalm 119 sheds a lot of light on that. Um, So if we see or sense in ourselves either a lack of discipline in being in the Word of God, or especially what I see a lot in, in me is... The, the lack of delight in reading the Word of God. Um, that's a sign to us that we need to pray. We need to ask God to fan the flames of faith, warm our hearts and affections to Him. That's one, we're going to talk about singing. That's one of the things that I think singing is so useful for in the lives of believers, is to stir godly affections. And that may be a helpful antidote. So, Prayer, prayer for God's help, confession of the sin that's present in our lack of delight or perhaps even lack of discipline, just like Charlie mentioned, the easy tendency to ignore the Word of God altogether. Timothy, do you have something? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the if you're choosing between doing the right thing with your heart not in it and not doing the right thing, if, that's, if those are the choices, and I'm not sure those are only the ever, but if that's kind of what is in your mind, like, I'm just not feeling it today. I just, I'm not feeling like opening up my Bible and, and spending time in fellowship with the Lord. If, if it's spend time with the Lord with that heart or leave the Bible on the dresser and don't... I, I would choose do the right thing and pray that the affections and the desires will follow. Um, we're not always going to live on the mountaintop. It's not always going to be waking up like, I just cannot wait to experience the glories and goodness of the Lord and His Word today. And I, I recognize I need to be fed from... like We just don't live like that all the time. Do the right thing when your heart's not in it and pray that it will follow. If your wife makes you something for dinner you really don't want, you can still say thank you and eat it, right? Even if, you know, Brussels sprouts aren't your favorite. Rebecca quit making me Brussels sprouts. She loves me. Um, but I, I, I think we're on the same wavelength there, Timothy. That, um, if, if that is just the 24-7, 365, though, there's big red flags there. Um, that, that call into question really what it is we ultimately desire. Uh, and if there are flames of faith in embers that, that, can, be, that can be fanned to, to greater warmth and affection, or if it's, if it's just the forms of religion that deny its power. Um, but that's a good reminder, and human relationships are a good illustration of that. So we can pray for God's help, certainly. Those are things that we can confess to and ask other believers to help us with. And I have found um, one of the things that increases my own delight in the Lord is spending time with Christians, talking about the Bible, talking about our our lives of faith, 
the sharpening that happens in relationship with other believers, I think is very, very useful in our own individual Christian lives. We'll talk about song in a minute. Um, And we can also protect against busyness by having a regular plan for prayer and Bible reading. The morning is probably a good time for most people. And, you know, if that's the rule, then there certainly will be exceptions. Um, But I think, generally speaking, mornings are a good time for a lot of people. For some people, it, it requires changing their morning routine, getting up earlier, and it's you know, we, we used to do a better job of this as parents than we've done lately, and this is on me. We used to be very intentional, more so than we are now, on Saturday night about not eating dinner very late, getting all the Bibles and things packed up for Sunday morning the night before, making sure we're in bed at a decent hour. We're, we're we've done, laying out outfits for Sunday morning, planning for Sunday on Saturday. When we wait until Sunday morning like I think we did today, to get ready for the, the gathering of the church. We're scrambling. We're short with one another. Who left the lights on? Who left the door open? Why aren't your shoes on? It's just very practical to have a plan for these things, and certainly our individual devotional times are no exception to that. So again, if I were discipling a young believer and talking about these things, I would say, I'm not going to apply a particular plan to you as a law, but I strongly suggest you have a plan. Um, I was talking with uh, one of our college students recently, really sweet girl. It came up to me after the service, and I love the perspective of like young believers. With all sincerity, she said, so, like, on Sunday mornings, we have, the, you know, a couple different building blocks, and then we're preaching, like, a different book of the Bible, and then there's a Bible study on Wednesday nights. Like, what am I supposed to read during the week? Like, she was looking for, like, homework. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what is my assignment when I am not here? It was just the sweetest, most sincere question. And I'm so rarely asked that kind of question, it really was disarming. And I had to think about that for a second. And what I encouraged her with was read the Bible. Have a plan to read the Bible. I can give you some practical suggestions like we're about to be in the book of Hebrews. Maybe consider reading through Hebrews if you've never read it before. Or if you've never read the whole Bible, consider a daily reading plan to read through the whole Bible. Um, It was a very sweet question and I don't know ultimately all the things going on in her heart. I know if I had been the one asking that question, it would have revealed my own tendency to look for law. What's what's the assignment? Give me the law I need to follow. I'm not accusing her of being in that place. I don't necessarily think that's the place she was coming from. She's looking at a church that spends a lot of time in the Bible going, okay, well, what what do I do when I'm at home? Because y'all are telling me to read the Bible, so what do I read? It It was very sweet and sincere. We need to guard against the legalism that can set in, um, and plans can sometimes become that way. I have sensed that in myself. But having no plan is probably not a great place to be either. So mornings can be good for a lot of people, a time and place where there are, are distractions are limited. There's lots of Bible reading plans and devotionals out there. I've mentioned two to you already that I wouldn't hesitate recommending, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, if you have a particular goal. Um, I 
typically will encourage people, and this is one of the reasons why we, we try our best, and I think 99% of the time we've been successful in the recent years, is telling you ahead of time via email what the next preaching passage is going to be so that you know where we're going and you can read ahead of time. Um, with our family, I haven't done this as much as I used to, our family devotions typically at least one night a week would be reading that particular passage that's from the coming Sunday. Uh, I think that can be helpful. Lately, our family has picked a song that we're going to sing on Sunday, and we'll read a scripture that corresponds to that song. Read it, talk about it briefly, and sing the song. Um, those are things that families can do together. Those are things that you can do by yourself. Um, so there's any number of good resources out there. I mentioned the Robert Murray McShane reading plan if you're trying to read through the entire Bible in a year. The D.A. Carson, For the Love of God, devotional, is one that I have liked and found helpful. Needless to say, plans can be very helpful in fighting off busyness, in being disciplined. But plans won't in themselves stir our affections and cause us to delight in the Lord. That's another gracious work of the Lord that we need His help in and why we need to turn to prayer when we sense that that is not where it needs to be. So we can protect against weariness in Bible reading through regular prayer. Psalm 119.18 is a prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So it's a prayer. He's asking the Lord, open my eyes. You know, kind of like Lydia. Her heart is opened. Open my eyes that I may behold what out of your law? Boring things? Interesting things? Things that I can impress my Christian friends with? Wondrous things. The appeal is to wonder. I want to be in awe of things that God reveals to me in His Word. And for that to happen, for that awe to set in, that wonder, those affections that are just stirred, that is something that the Lord does in opening our eyes. And we can pray to that end. So pray and pray the Bible. Uh, the ACTS acronym is probably not new to you, but again, if I were, if I were having a conversation with a, uh, a new believer or a young believer about thinking through prayer, ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, I think can be a helpful way to think through what are, what are appropriate ways to respond to the Word of God in prayer. And you kind of see this actually reflected in our the structure of our worship services. We begin with praise to God for who He is and what He has done. That is a right response to the Word of God and the person of God is adoration. Praise God for who He is. And recognizing God for who He is, when the mirror shines on us, a right response is confession because we don't measure up to who God is. But God graciously has provided salvation in and through Jesus, and so we respond in thanksgiving for the gospel and all of the ways that God provides for us and blesses us. And then, like the psalmist, we are then eyes wide open to all the areas of need, all the things that we need, like that list that I read to you that God's word meets our needs in a variety of ways. We are aware of where we need the Lord, or at least more aware of where we need the Lord. And the right response to that is 
Asking, seeking, and knocking. Praying. Prayers of supplication. James 4, 8, and 10 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So drawing near to the Lord in humility, trusting Him to provide what we need. Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So prayer is also a gracious means of God relieving our anxieties. If you look at our worship services, you, you kind of see how we are rehearsing the gospel. Um, one way that you'll hear people articulating, kind of stepping through the, the gospel story, is God-man-Christ response. You've probably heard this a million times. The gospel begins with God. God the Creator, God the Holy and Just and Righteous One. Man has sinned against God. We are accountable to God and under His righteous wrath. God has supplied Christ to bear His wrath and our guilt for sins. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. Response. We can only be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. God, man, Christ response is a, is a helpful way of kind of rehearsing the gospel. And you'll see that uh, if you look just even in our order of service, you'll see how we move from adoration to confession to thanksgiving to supplication. God, man, Christ response. That ACTS acronym is basically rehearsing the gospel. And we've tried to reflect that in how our services are ordered. I confess I've never read it, um, but we have that book giveaway out there, um, Praying the Bible. Um, I don't hesitate to recommend it to you um, because I know people who have and I trust people who have. Um, but that's what we want to reflect even in our corporate prayers here is praying back to God His words, the words of Scripture. And our prayers should be informed by what He has said. Praying the prayers of the Psalms can be helpful. There are many prayers recorded in Scripture. But praying the prayers of the Bible. And as we do that, we might ask some questions like, what does this passage tell me about God? What difference does this truth that I'm reading make in how I live today? What sins result when I neglect these truths? Does my life demonstrate that I'm living out of faith in God? and the things that he has revealed about himself. I think, when we think about like devotional time with the Lord, for a long time, I kind of had little boxes. So there was the read the Bible box, check. Now I will pray some, check. And kind of compartmentalize those needlessly when... One, I think it's best when we are reading the Scriptures with just an attitude of prayer. Constantly just thanking the Lord, praising the Lord, confessing sin even as we read. But maybe you're reading a passage or you're reading a chapter or whatever you, and you get to the end of that. Let the reading and the meditation on the Word continue in prayer and thinking about maybe asking some of these questions and responding in prayer, not just in generalities, but in very specific ways with the words and ideas of Scripture. I don't know that um, 
Scripture memory has the emphasis that maybe it once did in the life of the church, at least in terms of the church practically and very um, specifically equipping people for Scripture memory. When I talk to um, you know, folks that are maybe in their at least 10, 20 years older than me, I'll hear them share stories about things the church used to do in like very practical you know, scripture memory things, whether it's kids' activities or adult programs. And I'm not saying you have to apply a program to, to solve a problem, but um, I, don't, I know that, at least me personally, I don't think about scripture memory at least the way that I used to. I have a little index card box in my office. I think it's in my office. And I made a goal for myself years and years and years ago. It's over 10 years ago, where my goal was to memorize one passage of Scripture from every book of the Bible. And so I, I just went through the books of the Bible, picked a verse. Most of them were fairly short. The longest one I did was Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I wrote the words of the verse on one side of the card, and I wrote the address on the other side of the card. And I would just... There was no like special way I did it. I just read and read and read and read and read, and then I would turn the card over and see if I could get it without looking. And I was moderately successful, um, but that used to be a very regular part of spiritual disciplines for me, was intentionally trying to memorize Scripture. I think it's worth reviving that in our, in our individual lives, uh, maybe even in our corporate lives, of focusing on Scripture memory, to store up God's Word in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. And I think we'll find the more that we're storing in there, even through memory, then when the check engine light comes on, by the grace of God, more often things that are expressing a humble trust in the Lord will be what's coming out and not my frustrations at the situation that I'm in. So, Constantly being fed by the scriptures, even to the point of, of memorizing them. Um, do you all have much experience with scripture memory? Is it like a discipline that you've ever really worked at or had success in? Is, it, is memorizing things not come naturally to you? What has been your experience with scripture memory? Yeah, you know, um, is it Peter that says he wants to stir them up by way of reminder. Well, we should be seeking to stir up ourselves by way of reminder. And one of the ways that we can do that is frequently reading, meditating on, and even attempting to memorize portions of Scripture. Yeah, and I, that's a, just another area where there's evidence that you need brothers and sisters around you who can be the voice of reason and say, like, look, this is not a, a law that you're following unto salvation. We're talking about things that God has given to you graciously for your good and transformation into Christ-likeness. He means for you to, to delight in this. So something is amiss if I missed one day a Bible reading and I just forget the whole Bible thing, you know? I'm just, I'm shutting the doors on this or... I can't memorize John 3.16. There's no hope for me. Um, yeah. 
That we, that's why we got to keep coming back to Galatians 3. You will not be perfected by the flesh. And it's very easy when you hear practical things for your flesh to latch on to that and have the, I can do it. I can do it. Or, I can't do it. There's truth in both of those things. There are some things you can do in your own strength. You can, you can get up. Well, if you'll, for argument's sake, bear with me that it's not actually God's gracious work that keeps your heart beating and your brain functioning. But I can get up and read a chapter of the Bible, right? And I can just read my note card over and over and over and over and over again. But none of those things are actually penetrating my heart. I do not have the power in my flesh to change my heart. So we do want to be careful when we're giving practical advice and examples to not just feed the flesh. It's, all, it's always a reminder, this is God's gracious work in you. These things he means to be fanning the, the flames of faith. If we find ourselves downtrodden and despairing over our lack of whatever, however we've defined success, that has then revealed what we were trusting in. I was trusting in my ability and not in the Lord. And that might help me think through how I can go about this in a way that's more fruitful. Maybe the goals that I set for myself are not the right ones because they're playing into my fleshly temptations to try to just work this out in my own strength. I know I need to be in the Word of God regularly, and I know I need to be in prayer, and I know I ought to be meditating on the Word of God. I need to stop and ask God for wisdom in a good way for me to do that where I have my eyes opened to the obstacles that maybe even my own personality or sinful inclinations are leading me into traps. Does that make sense? So, but I can't see all my blind spots. So if I hear a brother or sister saying things like that, or if a brother or sister hears me saying things like that, that's, hey, time out. Let's talk about where it is your, your hope and your, your trust is actually going. Uh, the, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You can look at your own outward appearance and feel really good or really bad about what you're accomplishing or what you think you're not accomplishing. The, the person's heart is where the Lord's attention is directed, and that's what we actually need to be praying for help with the most. The prayer of God, I really want to get through my Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan, may, maybe, not necessarily is, but may be misplaced. If we're not beginning with, Lord, I want a heart that grows in love for you. And I believe your word is instrumental in that. And so I need your help in being disciplined to be in your word regularly, to not rely on my own strength and wisdom to see those things accomplished, but to rely on you, and even more so, to have those things being worked out in me for my good. That's why prayer and Bible reading have to go so closely together and not be compartmentalized, because we're constantly telling the Lord, your word says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and who am I not? So constantly that attitude of prayer is being combined with the discipline of scripture reading. But we do want to be careful, like you said, not to lay on people's consciences things that the Lord doesn't. Yeah, and it, it's, it's frequently, regularly confessing those things in prayer because there's one thing to be negligent of the Word of God 
And to know that in an intellectual sense, I need to be in the Bible, it's another thing to recognize spiritual hunger. And those senses can be dulled. And that's, I think, thing, another thing to, to pray to the end of when those seasons come, that those would be painful. That it ought, there ought to be hunger pangs when our spiritual appetites are not being satisfied. Um, if, if you come to an assembly of believers here for a worship service on Sunday morning and the gospel is not preached and the word of God is not exposited, that ought to not sit right with you. That you ought to sense that something is wrong when we gather and you are not fed the scriptures. And likewise, in our lives individually, there ought to be those hunger pangs of the, the desire that is not being satisfied when we're not in the word of God. Um, real quick as we close, I said I needed to end on time. Singing is, I think, one of the most underrated ways that we have in stirring our affections for the Lord, storing up biblical truth, increasing in joy in the Lord. It's a powerful way to instruct ourselves and others in biblical truths. I'm not going to read the Colossians and Ephesians passages. You can read those. Um, Singing aids us in the fight for faith because it involves moving our affections more towards the Lord. I'm going to read this quote from Jonathan Edwards and then we're going to be done. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections. There is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except that these things have a tendency to move our affections. So we have a responsibility in corporate worship to not try to manipulate people's emotions and affections, but with biblical solid doctrine and, Lord willing, beautiful music, to have our affections not just stirred in some general sense, but directed towards the Lord. Um, singing, both individually and corporately, is a powerful way for those flames of faith, even if they're in ember form, to be stirred and increase. And that too is a gift of God's grace. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.